Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8. Good to be with you today. We continue to study together. We're basing things around uh, Jeremiah 2.13 this this fall. And this is is what the verse says. Uh, You're going to 1 Samuel 8, but this is what Jeremiah 2.13 says. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. God here compares himself to a to a river or to a uh, a deep water spring that they would call a fountain, um, saying, I, "I'm this." To from their their perspective in the ancient Near East, that spring they didn't know water where the water came from, but it was always there. The river they didn't know where it came from, but it was always there and in abundance. And if you were a farmer, that was the the ideal way to water. Uh, your land and have water for your family and for your animals and things like that. And if the worst possible option was to to hew a cistern or to dig a cistern, which is just a basically a pit that would you'd let it fill up with water and you would drink from that or you would let your animals drink from that. And it was essentially a cesspool. And what God's telling them in their context was that see they had entered into this land and they had begun to to worship, like literally to like pray to these created things. It could be the moon or the sun. It could be a statue of, of some God, you know, that they made up. And so they're searching for stuff. And so if you wanted, if you were a farmer and you wanted, uh, one of these gods to bless your crops, there were certain gods that they would pray to and make sacrifices to. Uh, if you were starting a family and you wanted uh, to, to be able to have a baby, there are certain fertility gods that you would pray to and look to. Um, and as a, as, a, as a nation, they had begun to, to worship all these gods that were fake. They're turning their back on the one true God to worship these fake gods. And he's like, that's like choosing to dig a cistern when the, you're like sitting next to the river. You know, it doesn't make any sense. And so God, because he loves them, sends this prophet in to like, just to tell them, hey, this, this is what you're doing. Um, this is not how things were created to go. And so what we've been doing on Sundays is looking at, at, uh, how do we kind of stumble into some of the same patterns that we see in Israel? Like, what are the, what are the broken cisterns that we are digging for ourselves, searching for something that God is there providing for us by his own creation, you know? Um, and so we've looked at our search for belonging, and we've looked at our search for guidance. Uh, today we're going to look at our search for approval. And um, I have a feeling that that uh, you're going to some of you are going to track with this from the jump, and some are going to kind of resist and be like, "I don't really think that's I don't, of all the list things on the list. I don't think this this one's mine." And maybe maybe so. But when I was in college, I read a. a a, a book, and um, it's called The Life You've Always Wanted. It's written by a guy named John Ortberg. And God really used this book to bring a lot of new ideas to my the community of faith uh, who are all kind of, we we're kind of cutting our teeth at that point in terms of like really like learning what it means to follow Jesus as people in our early 20s, you know. Um, and uh, there's this one chapter in particular 
where he begins to address approval addiction, is what he calls it. Uh, the, the fact that we're essentially hooked on uh, like the opinion of others being so incredibly important to us. But he borrows a concept from a sociologist uh, that, that's really, it's not that we're trying to impress the whole world, you know. Um, although now with, with some of the social media possibilities that can actually happen, you know. But, but, but in reality, it's not like everybody. There's really, it's just, there's a few people in our lives whose approval really carries a lot of weight with us. And what Ortberg does, he's, he says it's, it's almost like in a courtroom, there's the box where the jury sits, and it's like we have our own little group in the box there. Um, and it's really that it's a small group of people whose approval we seek and are trying to earn, we're trying to impress them. Um, and it's really that that group where we tend to rise and fall. Like this, this is the group that uh, when they affirm you, it, it it's it's like the most life giving thing in the world. You know, um, when they encourage you, when they tell you in some way that they think you're cool, they're like, I must be cool because someone in my box said that I was cool. You know, they they. They say you're smart, you must be smart. If they say you're funny, you must be funny. Whatever it is, whatever sort of approval thing we're kind of, we tend to seek, and because that box of people, to those of us who battle approval addiction, their approval it, it kind of does two things at once. One of them is it makes us feel value, like it it, it inflates our sense of self worth. Um, our identity is suddenly like, oh, like I'm, you know, I'm a somebody or whatever, whatever it may be. Uh, so, so it speaks to our value and it validates us. Like it's, it, it is their way of saying, yes, yes, you are cool. Yes, you are funny. Yes, you are whatever, whatever it may be. And those things kind of feed one another. And so when, when people in the box, whoever is in your box, whenever they are approving of us, it's a game changer, and it might be uh, it might be parents. Um, might well your parents they might work their way out of the, out of the box. Who, who really knows? But uh, it might be parents. It might be uh, spouse. It might be best friends. It it could be your kids. You know, I know it means a lot to parents when their kids uh, are like when your kids think they're awesome. You know that kind of thing. Um, it could also just, it could be maybe someone that you work for or someone that you work with. It could be like maybe in your career somewhere. Um, it could also just be like people in your life that you think are like the cool kids somehow. Um, that there's just something about them. Or it could maybe fluctuate depending on different things. Like um, like like for me, I tend to, to have like, there's like music people when I'm doing music things. Or there maybe there's ministry people when I'm doing ministry things. Or uh, um there's uh, someone that's in the first service who's like she like laughs at everything that I say, not because it's funny. She thinks it's funny. No one else really laughs or very much. And we had a conversation about that afterwards. And so she's in my box because she laughs at my jokes. And so um, like those kinds of, of things, it could it could fluctuate. But but I think if we were all being honest, we do kind of have like a group of people that we really like to impress and we want them to approve of us. And if you're not sure of the approval side of it, go to the other, the other side, the people whose disapproval is just so crushing. 
you know. Um, that's also how you know who's in the box, is whose criticism just feels heavier, you know. Um, who, who, who do you find yourself like wanting a compliment from and it just never happens? And it's like you're being starved out. That person's probably in your box. And so what Orberg is saying is like we, we really kind of are focused on this group of people and we want to impress them because we want to be approved of by them. And it's just kind of one of those patterns. And you might not even be aware it's happening. And I think that's a part of what is hard about this is that to a certain extent, it's just kind of how we've learned to live. Um, and I remember like reading this in college and being like, I don't think I do this. And like 30 seconds later, I was like, I am absolutely doing this all the time. And I've been doing it my whole life. I just never had anyone like put it that way. Of how my feeling, my sense of self-worth and, and wanting to be validated just rises and falls based on the opinions of some people. And you know what's super messed up about this? Is that it is completely a man-made thing. Like in the last two weeks, we talked about our search for belonging and our search for guidance. Both of those are good things like in and of themselves. They've just become corrupted, and that's why we look for a broken cistern. But we were, we were created to belong, so that's a part of bearing the image of God. That's a good thing. Um, we just tend to look for it in the wrong places. We, we were created to make decisions, and so we want guidance as we're trying to like make some choices. That's a good thing. We're making the image of a God who makes choices. Um, this one, though, this, this is just uh, like just a human thing. This is not a part of bearing the image of God. Um, God loves you because he loves you. God does not approve of you. They're very different. Um, now, we, we like to make God like a human sometimes and assume he's doing the same thing. But God's like, no, I don't, I don't even speak that language. I, I, think that God, I think that is part of how God would say it. God doesn't even speak the language of approval and disapproval. That's a man-made construct that has become a part of just how we live our lives. And, and here's, here's where that comes from for me, is that you don't see it in Jesus. Like you don't see him living his life based on the the approval, disapproval of the people that he is living life with. He is wildly popular at times. Then he goes to his hometown and they try to throw him off a cliff. There are, are people who are like... They're, they're, they're trying to get into the room so much that they have to cut a hole in the roof to lower someone down to get to him. Another minute, he's being betrayed by one of his closest people, and they end up murdering him in public. You know, like he he has the full spectrum in terms of approval, and yet he's just so steady. It doesn't phase him. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what people think about him. His self-worth, and uh, it doesn't rise and fall based on the opinions of other people. He, uh, he doesn't need to be validated. He, what he sh- is showing us is this is what the image of God looks like. And so this one is a little bit different because it's just our, it's our own brokenness came up with this one. 
And that makes it a little bit difficult to sift through because it's just in there. So earning approval is something we all battle to some degree. And like most of these battles, um, our insecurities kick in and we get very afraid. And so we're either afraid of people disapproving or we find out that it's a fact that they disapprove of us. And then it becomes like, what does that say about me? And how, how can I like earn my way back into, into their favor? And, um, it just kind of can get out of hand. And this can all be happening without us being cognitively aware that it's happening, you know. And so what it takes sometimes is like a John Ortberg or maybe even the message today to kind of be like, hey, this, this is like, a, like an undercurrent for us. It may not be one for you right now in life. You may have progressed out of that, like you, out of that, like you may have like healed from some of this. Um, it can come back at any moment, like, like, a, like all addictions. So we have to stay on top of it, but, but it's, it's in the mix of things for us to be aware of and, so, kind of what we do in seeking that approval is we, uh, we, we tend to dig our own cisterns to find it. And uh, so 1 Samuel 8, this is, uh, it's not, uh, this is one of those times where we see Israel do something and, and God's like, hey, this is a, a pattern among humanity. So, verse 1, um, this is a, a, a stage in Israel's history where God has established them as a nation, and he's going to be their king. Uh, they don't have a human king. God is their king. But they do have human leaders among them uh, called judges. And so uh, they're at a point where there's some like tensions going on. Uh, so this is verse 1. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel. The name of his, ne- of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and they perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together, came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old. I'm sure that went over very well. Thank you. Kind sirs, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. Listen to this. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that the, that they have done, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Now, from verses 10 through 18, Samuel's like, okay, if you want a king, that's fine. Let me tell you what a human king... Let me tell you how terrible life will be under a human king. So he lays that out there. And then verse 19, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. They said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all our, all the nations 
that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice, make them a king. Samuel said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. Okay? So here we see Israel. The, the setup is God's going to be their king. They don't like how that's working out. They're like, yeah, that's the, these, these human judges that are underneath this heavenly king, it's not really working so well. You know what works well for all the other nations? Earthly king. They, were, they, were, they wanted to be like legitimate. Remember, they had been in, enslaved for a long time. God says, I'm going to bring you out of that and establish you as a nation. And so their identity was still kind of forming, or like in that sense of being like a nation. And so they, they wanted to be validated. They wanted to be seen as legitimate. Not only like among themselves, but also by the other nations. They were comparing themselves to the other countries and nations and stuff that were around them. And, and so that, that kind of begins this, this loop, we'll call it. This loop of performance and comparison that happen, like they don't, they don't like the way they they don't like the performance. They don't they don't like the way things are going. So we have to change what we're doing. And in seeking that out, they compare to other nations and they say, "Well, they have kings, so we need a king." So let's let's change what we're doing. They're they're trying to to alter those things. Meanwhile, God's like, "No, no, the the plan is like I'm your king." And they're like, "No, no, 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 not good enough." It's like a little microcosm of what we do when we dig our own cistern, right? Like we, we turn our back on him and we say, no, we know better than you do. We want to be like everybody else. You know? And that, that loop that we get caught in, that, that to me is important to focus in on. As we seek the approval of man, those are the two things that we also do. We, we perform and then we compare, and then based on our comparison, we adjust the performance. So when I say perform, like we are, we're doers, right? And so we're, we're trying to do things to impress people and in order to earn their approval. That's, that's what we're doing. And so it is like, like a performance. And I'm going to let that make either rise my value or make it deflate. Um, and then, then I'm going to compare myself to other people's performances and, uh, can I see, can I see where I stack up among everyone else? And then I'll figure out how do I change my performance so I can like move up. So we perform, we see the reaction, we compare to other reactions, we adjust, we perform some more comparison, all that kind of stuff. All this kind of running in the background because we're just, we just really want people to think we're awesome and funny and cool and whatever it may be. And that might not seem like, you might be like, oh, I can see that, I understand the concept, I don't know that I fall into that. Let's, let's jump into real life a little bit and see, because let's, let's, let's take career alone, alright? So you're, you do something, you do something with your Monday to Friday, nine to five. And so it could be, could be a temporary job, it could be a, like a career career where you're like, this is what I'm gonna do for a long time. Um, it could be work that's hit and miss. It could be that you're searching for a job. It could be that you're a stay-at-home parent and that's your like that's your job. Um, however, however you want to look at it, like in 
how you spend your nine to five um, is a performance. It doesn't mean it's shallow or anything like that, but you're you're doing you're doing something. You've given yourself to work, and that performance is assessed. Right? People respond to it. Especially if you're in some sort of field where you have like actual performance reviews, where your supervisor sits down with you and is like, "Let's go over the numbers." You know, let's see how you're how you're doing and how you can improve. Um, I taught high school for a couple of years, and that was like every, every I think it was every other month you had the like the assistant principal would come in and like sit there with a clipboard and like assess everything that you're doing, and then hand you. Uh, the notes, and then you had to meet later on. And it was like, here's the things you're good at. Here's the things that were awful. Uh, in two months, you better have this, the awful things remedied, uh, that kind of thing. And the goal was to develop us as teachers, but it felt like um, either an approval or disapproval kind of situation. And what you wanted was to be like, I have nothing to criticize. I have nothing to say. You don't, you don't need to change a thing, you know. That wasn't really the case. Some of you are in that, those kind of situations where what you do for a living is being assessed all the time. And sometimes it's spoken directly and sometimes it's indirectly. You know? But it doesn't really matter because we have to, we have to do something with, our, with ourselves. And so career can become one of those performance things where a lot of people find their sense of worth. Uh, and sometimes that career inflates it and sometimes it deflates it. But a lot of us find a lot of value and validation in what we do for a living. And if we are, quote unquote, successful, according to the rubric of uh, being an American, whatever, whatever that even means. Right. And so we're 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 caught in that. Like I'm, I'm doing I'm earning. I'm like I want to impress people. I want to make I want to make the money. I want to be able to provide, I want to be able to be generous, I want to do all those things. And that, I'm not saying that stuff is like inherently wrong, but what's your, what's your attitude when it comes to the approval of other people? If we put our hands to the plow, and the, and the whole time what we're trying to do is we're trying to get our dad to say, good job, I'm proud of you. That, that's approval. Nothing wrong with your dad saying, good job, I'm proud of you. But if we're giving ourselves to a career because all we want, that's just what we are going for. Maybe it's not your dad. Maybe it's someone else. Maybe it's, maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your best friend. Maybe it's a mentor. Maybe, um, maybe it's your mom. Who, who knows? But that that part of us that's being like driven to try to earn the approval of other people, even if it's just so in our career we can like we can provide certain things for our family or uh, we can do certain things for the church and all that kind of stuff. Like if you're trying to earn people, people just like giving you not the polite golf clap, like the eruption, like you are amazing, stadium chant. Then that that's that's what I'm getting at here. That's us caught in that performance and comparison loop. If if you if you find yourself feeling less than because you don't make as much money as your friends, or greater than because you make more money than your friends, or whatever it may be. I mean there's just there's so many outworkings of this where we're we just want people to validate us and we want our value to inflate. And the words and the attitudes of people 
just influence us so much. It could be career. We could talk about family things. We could talk about uh, like even even down to possessions. Like it seems like like uh, like when I, like I referenced middle school last week. I'll do it again this week. Like I remember being in middle school where you were like, I've I've got to have this this kind of way, whatever it is. It could be shoes. It could be jeans. It could be like so, so I have to have something external because if I have this cool thing, then that will mean that I'm cool. Right, the cool kids would be like, "Oh, you also have the same thing. Therefore, you are also cool. Therefore, like I get approved of. Therefore, I fit in. Therefore, whatever." And yeah, when you're that age, if any of you are that age, that's a very just common thing. Like it's terrible. Like no, no one would go back to those three years of life, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. No one would do it. And if you're there, it'll eventually it'll be over with, and it'll be well behind you, and you'll laugh about it too. But at the time, it's brutal. But what's weird is that that whole thing, it just morphs and takes shape as you get older if you don't get a hold of it. Right? It becomes career. It becomes where you live, what you drive. It becomes how much money you make. It becomes what vacations you're able to take your family on. It becomes all these other kinds of things that are not in and of themselves wrong. But if you are doing them, if there's a part of you that's trying to earn the approval of other people so that you can show, so that you can stack up in a certain place so that you will feel like you have made it. All of that stuff is so twisted and weird and none of it originates in what it means to bear the image of God. Jesus did not bring that to the earth. He did not live that way. He did not create you and I to live that way. We have done this to ourselves. If we're not careful, we'll do it to our kids and they'll do it to their kids and we'll, it'll just never end. So I think it's important. And so whether this is a severe addiction to you or just a minor one, whether you have a few people in the box or you like have like too many to fit in a box, uh, I think it's important that we all get on the same page and realize that trying to earn approval, which we were taught to do, is a part of brokenness. But you know what we're really looking for the whole time is not approval. In fact, it has nothing to do with approval. And you're like, why do you talk about approval the whole time? Because, because that's, the, that's the human version of it. That's what it feels like. That's where it surfaces. But the real search is a search for love. That has something to do with the image of God. right? That is a part of bearing his image, is love. And in our brokenness, it, we've like, it's become so twisted that it's, uh, we've settled for a, for a counterfeit. In approval, because just for a moment, a human approval feels like love, but then it vanishes. It's like when it gets cold enough for you to see your breath, and you're like, "Oh, there's my breath." No, it's gone. That's that's what approval does. It's not love. It's it's fake. That's why it's broken cistern. Like it, it isn't there. So, so what is there? Glad you asked. Turn to Ephesians 2. Switch over to Ephesians 2 for a second. If that's the broken cistern, if if the world around us is offering us approval, what is the fountain of living water offering us? And I'll repeat it in case in case it wasn't clear the first time. God does not approve of you. He's not approve of me. 
That's the wrong term. That's the wrong concept. That is, that is not, that is not in, in God's vocabulary at all. It's not about approval. It's, it's a love issue. And so what does the fountain of living water offer to us? I mean, love is, love is the answer always. But uh, more specifically, I want to talk about grace. When I say grace, there's probably certain things that come to mind for you. Um, I, I grew up in, like, my understanding of grace for mo- most of my, like, young life was, uh, it was always, con- like, compared to mercy. And I don't know if you're, you can maybe nod your head if you're checking along with this. It was like, mercy, uh, let's see, make sure I get it right. Mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. Like, withholding. And grace is God giving you what you don't deserve, like giving you more than you deserve. So mercy is God withholding and grace is God giving abundantly, um, which I don't like either of those definitions. So please erase that in terms of what is mercy and what is grace. But, but one thing that is correct about that understanding is that God is giving grace generously. Like it is, uh, it is true that He's giving you and I what what we don't deserve. Like there, there's a there's a trueness to that in terms of generosity, but it's just more. It's more than that. And then another another definition that that came in, in a little bit later in life for me was was unmerited favor. You guys probably heard that one before, which is which is true in the sense that it's it's unmerited, meaning it's not based on merit. Meaning, it's not a performance-based thing. It's not, uh, you did all the right things today, therefore uh, I will be good to you. Or, you did all the bad things today, therefore I will not be good to you. Um, it, it isn't one of those kind of things. It's not based on your track record or whatever. So, in that sense, it's true. But I also, I just feel like it's, it goes beyond that, too. Um, that that grace. Uh, this is this is Dallas Willard's definition, or not his like. If you ever read Dallas, he just kind of talks. So one time when he was just talking, this is what he says: uh, Grace is God acting in our life to do what we cannot do on our own. So build that into your understanding, right? He's there's a generosity to it that we that has nothing to do with our merit. And as God is acting in our lives, he's doing the things that we cannot do on our own. If I had to add one more thing to it, I would say that grace is its what it means to have a relationship with God. Like it's, he loves you and is going to generously do the things for you that you cannot do on your own. Not based on the kind of day that you had. Not based on if you checked all the boxes. Not based on any sort of performance. Any sort of earning kind of attitude. And that's really the key. It's it's not so much uh, like there's, yes, we should pay attention to uh, like the kind of day that we had. And like were we engaged in holiness or not. Like those kind of things. But it, it's, really, it's, but it's, it's about the attitude behind it. It's about us not trying to earn it. It's that you don't have to earn it. He loves you because he loves you. That's why, that's why approval is not even in his 
He uh, he doesn't like. I don't get. I don't understand that word. I mean, he understands it, but you know what I'm saying. It's not how he operates. He's like I, I just love you. Y'all, y'all are dealing with. It's almost like he's saying, you guys, you you you're all obsessed with this approval disapproval stuff. I just love you because I because I love you. And so think about all that. Mash into one thing. Let me read Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. In other words, um, if it was about merit, we would be in a very different situation. Because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Like that, that's how it works. And if you, if you don't know who Jesus is as your Savior, you really need to listen closely. If you do know Jesus as your Savior, you also need to listen closely. We all need to listen closely. But it's not about earning it. And even like from a church history standpoint, like today's the day when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door, you know, and this started this Protestant Reformation. And and it isn't about, yay, Protestantism or anything like that. It's about saying there was a recognition of how obsessed uh, Christians had become with works, trying to earn their salvation. He's like, that's not what the Bible says. There, there has to be a parting of the ways with this obsession we have with earning through our good works, or it could be through our relationship, or it could be through any of these other kinds of things. And it started historically a like separation, which uh, has been very much to our benefit because we're able to sit here and like openly talk about the fact that that is not, that is not the pathway to the love of God. It's by grace we have been saved. By the generous, not based on your merit, love of God doing for you and I what we could not do on our own, which is save ourselves. That's why Jesus came and laid his life down, that we would be saved. God raised him from the dead, that we would walk in new life. That is open to all of us. That's grace. That's what it means to have a relationship with God, is him doing that for us because he loves us. That's where religion falls short is because religion is like, let me keep the rules so God will approve of me. This is not that. That's a broken cistern. The relationship with God that Jesus offers to us, that that's the fountain of living water. It's by grace you've been saved. He could have stopped there and that would have been fantastic, but he keeps going. Look at verse 6. And raised us up with him meaning resurrection, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches, immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Immeasurable. He's like, look, it's going to be hard to understand this, but there is no containing it. But I'm still going to show the world what grace looks like by displaying what Christ has done. And so 
Those of us who are in Christ, those of us who walk with Jesus, he's showing us off. He's saying, this is what grace looks like. Look at this life that isn't trying to earn it all the time. Look at this life that, that is pursuing holiness and is engaged in the disciplines and want, is pursuing healing and growth and maturity and is changing uh, and being transformed from one degree of glory to another, looking more and more like the image of God. All of those things are great, but there's not this ad- attitude underneath it that has to earn it. We're doing it because it's who we are, not because we're trying to climb some mountain, you know? And he's like, yes, let's live that life and let's go live that life in public. Take that to the workplace and to the neighborhood and to the grocery store and to the campus and wherever. Take it where you go and let them see exactly how good I am. And then tell them there's room at the table. Verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God. We couldn't do it for ourselves. He did it for us. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's the thing about, about our, when we're trying to earn it, and whenever we feel like we have earned it, then we feel like we are awesome. We love to boast in our good works, because we think we've earned something. And God's like, no, I set it up where you, you, it's, you couldn't, you can't boast in it. None of us can boast in any of this. We just boast in one, one person. And it all happens through faith. Like we trust. Say, yes, I believe that this is who Jesus is and this is what he has done. Verse 10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So yes, he has put before us something to do with our nine to five. He has put in front of us relationships and friendships and marriages and uh, being parents and grandparents and being children and like do he's done all of those things he's put all those things in front of us where his workmanship he's prepared all of that for us that we would walk in in them but not as a broken cistern not as us trying to earn approval from all those things because whenever we get this right like when we're drinking from the fountain and his grace is like leading us, strengthening us, and guiding us along. When that's happening, you know what you relate to correctly? Your job. You relate to your spouse correctly. You relate to your kids, to your friends. You relate to everything just falls into line when we get this right. None of those things are bad or evil or sinful, but there is a wrong way to relate to them. When we are using the people around us to try to get approval, to try to like somehow drive our ego or our sense of worth and all this kind of stuff, that is a broken cistern. It is a cesspool of water that is ultimately going to uh, prove to be false and empty. And yet we're sitting next to a spring. And he's saying, don't come to me for approval. Come to me for grace. And you'll find it. And it'll never run out. So once again, we're left with Jesus being the hero here. And we're left in this situation of like, why, why would I ever want any other, anything else for my life? 
Why would I ever want anything else for your lives? Why would I ever want anything else for any life that I ever come in contact with? That if you this evening are sitting at your place or you're gathered up somewhere and you're giving out candy to all these old uh, costume kids that come running up, no matter what they're dressed like, no matter where they come from, this is for every single one of them. And I hope God reminds us of this. Every one of them running up made in the image of God. Every one of them growing up in a culture that tells them they got to earn approval. And we get to tell them what's true. That approval is one of the things we battle as, as amongst humans, but not with God. And God will teach us how to not operate as humans that way as well. You don't, you don't want your friendships to be based on approval. You don't want your marriages, your relationship to your kids, grandkids, parents. None of those, none of those things should be based around this. We shouldn't have to earn that. You don't have to earn approval from your spouse. Earn approval from your best friend. It's, it's, it's so broken and God will help all that line out just right. By grace, through faith. By God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. Not based on our behavior, not based on our merit. Out of this abundance he gives to us. Through us just trusting him. Not earning it, just trusting him. I don't know why he's so good. I don't know why he set it up this way. It, it's baffling to me. But he told us, I did it because I love you. For God so loved the world. He gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him wouldn't perish, but have life forever. And so love is the driving force. So this probably fits into your life somewhere. And that's for you to steward. It's for you to figure out. Um, but I hope that more so than the approval stuff or the, the box of people we're trying to, to perform for and all that kind of stuff, more than that, like deal with that later on. The main thing for us today is uh, the, the grace and the goodness of God. And so I hope that is what we hold on to the tightest. Everything else will fall into place. Let's stand together. Let me pray for us. We're going to sing a little bit together. During this time, you can sing, you can pray, you can ponder lyrics, you can listen to the voices uh, in the room. We just we want to have a few minutes before we dismiss because it could be that God is stirring something in you that you need to talk to him about. I want to give you space to do it. So let me pray for us. God, thank you for uh, thank you for bringing something to us that is uh, that's hard to understand. Like it's hard to understand an unearned love because so much of what we experience here on the earth is somehow earned. Like that's our that's our mo. And I'm thankful, God, that you're teaching us how to understand more and more just the purity and holiness of the way you interact with us. 
And I'm thankful for a word like grace, which brings so much to the table. And yet we still have so much to learn about it. I'm thankful that you're the kind of God who doesn't approve. It's not about approval. It's just about a love that is uh, is just different than what we experience on the earth. And yet you enable us to love one another in that way. So I'm thankful that it's becoming more and more familiar. And so God, for those who are here today who who have, have never said yes to Jesus, I pray that today would be that day. And for those who have said yes, but perhaps get caught down, caught up in this seeking of approval and maybe have tried to treat you the same way. I hope you'd help all of us to, to hear deeply the message that we don't, we don't earn your love. You love us because you love us. And that that would work its way into all the other things, but that really we would immerse ourselves today in that kind of goodness. And so as we sing, or as we pray, as we just give some response to what you're stirring, pray that you would meet us where we are and um, that these next few moments would be sacred. We love you and we thank you. And I pray these things in your name.